to see what's been achieved in a short time, the continual emergence of new data around these vaccines and seeing progress into clinical trials and then the type of results that came out from, from Pfizer just a, a day or so ago. Really exciting to see that and really motivating for us who are working in this field to keep going, that we're on the right track. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Casino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I am your host for today, Brady O'Malley, and with us today, we have Dr. Roz Hollingsworth. Since completing her undergraduate, doctoral, and postdoctoral studies at the University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom, Ross has spent nearly 20 years in vaccines, medical affairs, and clinical research within the pharmaceutical industry. Roz joined Sanofi Pasteur in March 2015. She's currently global medical franchise head for influenza, working with her team to develop and execute a global medical strategy for Sanofi Pasteur's licensed influenza vaccines and support pipeline research and development projects with the recent addition of developmental vaccines for the prevention of COVID-19 disease. Prior to joining Sanofi Pasteur, Roz spent 14 years in global medical affairs at Pfizer with responsibility for pneumococcal conjugate vaccines. Roz has also worked with meningococcal vaccines, needleless vaccine delivery, and beyond vaccines antibiotic development. Roz's early research focused on an evaluation of host and viral factors, which could influence the rate of progression and clinical outcome of hepatitis C virus infection, with postdoctoral research on early vaccine candidates for the prevention of meningococcal disease. Great to have you here, Dr. Hollingsworth. I'm that's an incredible resume just right off the bat. Thank you. And you did an admirable job with pneumococcal and meningococcal. I think it was quite a relief to work on uh, COVID-19 after having you know, to deal with some of those other pathogens. So uh, from a naming perspective. So thanks for the intro. Oh, no problem. No problem. Yeah, that was definitely a, a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into discussing your career, can you talk a little bit about your undergraduate and graduate experiences at the University of Nottingham? Yeah, so the University of Nottingham is based right in the middle of England, obviously home of Robin Hood, much more familiar with most people than for the university. I had spent a lot of time thinking about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do for university and there's a very large medical centre in Nottingham as well that's affiliated with the university so in terms of wanting to focus on life sciences at that time it was a, a great choice for me campus university a large university uh, great faculty really diverse curricula and studies that were open to me but of course at that time I also enjoyed the social life and everything else that university life had to bring with it. I was more interested in genetics. I, When I first joined the university, I had opted to study for a degree in biochemistry and genetics, but genetics was 
the most attractive part of that degree choice for me. But actually, by the end of my degree, I found biochemistry much more fascinating. And I think that that's because of the logical approach to most biochemical processes. I love that kind of one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing kind of uh, approach in life. And, and so the ladder of life, as I like to think of it, uh, really appealed to me. I completed those studies and really didn't have I, an idea of which direction I wanted to go. And actually deciding to pursue a PhD at that time uh, was a last minute decision. An opportunity presented itself in the School of Microbiology. And it sounded interesting. I had some job offers on the table, but ultimately took the decision that continuing studies would be preferable and, and building towards that PhD. And I'm very glad I did because it was through that kind of microbiology, molecular biology pathway that uh, led me to viruses and to vaccines and, and to everything that I've done since. I stayed on again to do some postdoctoral work, as you noted in my introduction. And I'm very grateful to the University of Nottingham for setting me on the road to where I am and providing that foundation for me of, uh, I hope, what has been scientific excellence as I've moved through my career. That definitely seems like a great experience that you've gone through. You definitely seem to me, at least in personal perspective, like you're the definition of a hard worker going from step to step to step. In, in any way, in comparison, I think you're also going from there to there to there in such a great manner. I, at least that's just how I am seeing it. So, well, thank you. I, I have to say I've not been one of life's great planners when it's come to my career. I'm not one of these people that would be able to tell you where I will be in, in five years' time. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do when I came out of school and actually took a number of years deciding to go to university. So I'd already had three years working full-time before I embarked on my university studies. From there, you know, as I said, I had some job offers after my undergraduate degree, but an opportunity came along for a PhD that was too good to miss. And I, you know, I snapped that up. And, and I've kind of been in industry since then. I've been quite ambitious, but I've not been chasing success. It's been more about uh, getting the science and the outcome from the science that I wanted that has led to the success rather than, you know, saying, okay, I want that position because that, you know, is a high leadership position with power and all of this kind of thing. It's, it's been, for me, it's been more about getting good vaccines out the door, getting them to people that need them around the world and thereby using that opportunity as a stepping stone to a success within my own career. But it's, it's the public health benefit of vaccines that really drives me on and that the science underpinning that that really drives me on. Yeah, the success and the advancement definitely seem, would you agree that for your life, the success and advancement is only really a byproduct of the passion and the love for the field? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's fundamentally at the heart of my career, you know, because I have been lucky enough to have a family and had to manage those things along the way as well. And I found that making decisions to give up time with my children and my family along the way, I could only do that if I was involved with something I was really passionate about because it's it's a difficult decision for anyone to make and I if I didn't really see value in, in what I was doing it would have made those kinds of decisions so much harder. 
Now, I would, I can obviously assume that your field of work is a very difficult one. What is the mindset you keep, no matter what the struggles with it is, to keep pushing forward with it and to keep with the love for it? I, I think I've had, I've got the advantage of seeing what a tremendous impact vaccines have made over centuries now, not just, you know, the my lifetime or this century. You know, vaccines have been available in one form or another for, for many years. And, you know, we've seen the eradication of disease like smallpox. We're on the way to seeing polio eradicated. We've seen a significant decline in disease, uh, common childhood diseases like measles, so mumps, like whooping cough and tetanus and diphtheria. And from my perspective, flu or meningococcal disease or pneumococcal disease, those are, you know, vaccines have had a terrific impact there. And so that is a big motivator for me to continue to bring those kinds of successes or improve on those kinds of successes in the case of flu, where flu vaccines aren't always as efficacious as we would like them to be. And so what can we do better? How can we change things to really increase the significant public health impact that these vaccines can have? The other big thing for me is being surrounded by like-minded people. I really value working as part of teams within the pharmaceutical industry and within what I do, our teams are all multidisciplinary. We come, you know, like me, I work in function of global medical affairs, but then I have people that work within the regulatory function or within the clinical function or within R&D or within manufacturing. And they're all similarly motivated people and we carry each other along. Some, somebody's success is everybody's success. Somebody's failure is everybody's failure. And I, I love those team interactions and the opportunity of working with people that have a shared vision. And again, if I was working alone, um, this wouldn't have the same attraction for me. And it's been one of the most challenging things for me about the pandemic has been you know, not being able to get into the office, not being able to see people and, and spend time with people face to face. Zoom is great, but you know, I think it's the real thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just to backtrack a little bit, just tiny bit you, when you were talking about the different people on your team the different perspectives we as an institute we had a couple weeks ago we had a lecture about diversity and different perspectives and equity and all all of that good stuff how do you see diversity not in just the racial or cultural means but in terms of background in terms of moral views in terms of just work experience how do you see that as a part of not just your success but the success of the whole team so I think diversity in all its forms is critical. Uh, I mean, we do spend a lot of time in the workplace trying to ensure that our teams are as diverse as possible in male to female ratio, ethnic background and so on. And I did have to stop and think about this at the beginning of this year, actually. I, we, I was at a, an internal meeting and it was as a kind of kickoff for the year. What were we going to do? What were we going to achieve? So on for flu, the leadership team stood up and we started to answer questions. And one of the questions that was raised and posed to us was the fact that actually the majority of the team was female. And didn't we think it would be a good idea to have more diversity on the team, which is, you know, completely the opposite from <laughs> what I'm, you know, we normally hear about women in science and engineering and math and, and so on technology. So I, it did give me pause and think about how I was going to address that. But actually within my team, yes, we are high proportion of, of women 
women within that team, but we are all from different countries, different ethnicities. We were different ages, so there was quite a spectrum in the age across our team. Uh, we also had come from a diverse background. So within my team, I support a team of medics, pharmacists, scientists, vets. So we all we all had, you know, some of us had spent a lot of time in academia before coming into industry. Uh, some had been in clinical practice for a long time before coming into industry. Some have been professors in universities or academia before coming into industry. All of that brings a great insights into and different ways of thinking. And I, I think it's absolutely critical that diversity is created and sustained in, in all its forms and, and maybe not in the more high profile ways that we're currently encouraged to think about diversity as a race issue or a gender issue or a sexual orientation issue, those kind of, of factors. So I think that it all does play a key role in, in how successful everybody has a different perspective. Yeah, that definitely seems like a great attitude to have. Just from what you're saying, it makes a lot of sense. And from what we've been taught a lot, definitely different minds and different views and just differences in general definitely elevate the group as a whole and you and your team are clearly an example of that I hope so I hope so but I I think it's you know it's as well as being diverse it's about allowing people the opportunity to express that diversity so giving people opportunity to speak teach and learn from those experiences is critical you can have all the diversity in the world but if you don't take time to listen to people and their experiences and their insights then it's meaningless now on to a different topic, the dreaded pandemic that I'm sure that you, especially in your field, have been dealing with. I um, want to talk about that for a little bit. How is this pandemic specifically towards your field? How has it affected your work? Well, I mean, it's it's profoundly changed my entire year because I, you know, went into this year as the franchise head for influenza vaccines. And at that time, I was also looking after some vaccines for other respiratory infections of babies that we've got in sort of clinical trial um, settings. So I'd, I'd got this clear idea of what this year was probably going to bring. And then by March and the announcement by the World Health Organization of the pandemic, that had all been completely turned on its head. At Sanofi Pasteur, we're developing two vaccines for prevention of COVID-19 disease. And I'm involved in the project teams for both of those. And it's I've been about learning on our feet and trying to get things done as, as quickly as possible, making decisions when you don't have all of the information available to you because there's there's still so much to learn about this virus and how it's behaving and, and who it's affecting and the broader complications of this disease that go beyond just that acute those acute respiratory system events, it seems to be, you know, for people that survive potentially causing issues with heart and with the brain and other things going on. And, you know, lots to learn about how children are or aren't involved in transmission of the virus and things like this. And then on top of that emerging picture, trying to design and bring through into clinical trials and beyond vaccines that can help to address this pandemic. For somebody who's been interested in in vaccines all their life. It's a blessing and it's a curse. It's from a professional perspective, forget everything else that's, you know, my personal life and how this is affecting my family and my friends.
friends and my community. As a, as a vaccinologist, you know, this type of opportunity is, is one that you relish, but you dread. And for me, I've spent many years thinking about how pandemic influenza might be important and whether we can plan for vaccines to address pandemic influenza. And in the end, the pandemic has come from coronavirus, which many of us, you know, weren't watching or looking for. So it's a disappointment for me that we didn't see this coming from a coronavirus but a lot of the work that we have done for influenza has helped to inform us and you know a lot of the leading vaccines that we now starting to see good data emerge for you know is based on other foundational work that's been done with coronaviruses previously and and so you know I'm I'm really happy to see the results starting to come out now around the efficacy of some of these vaccines from Pfizer and from others for example. I'm really happy as a human being that we might be able to get this under control and start to get back to some kind of normality in the next couple of years. Uh, I think these vaccines are going to be critical to help us do that. Yeah, you guys especially definitely seem like because you're in the thick of it, you would say it's impacting your life a lot, I'm assuming. Yeah. So how do you keep your spirits up and your motivation intact when you're not only dealing with the pandemic from a normal citizen perspective, but also from someone that's directly working with it? I think from a scientific perspective, the speed with which we've been able to respond and the way that the industry has come together with partnerships between companies that wouldn't normally work together and seeing the depth of partnerships that have been created between industry and academic institutions, that's been really exciting for me to see that. There are more than 200 vaccine candidates that are currently in development, both from traditional pharma companies like the one I work for, but also from very small institutions that, you know, normally you wouldn't expect to see responding so rapidly in this way. And, and so that's been really exciting. And to see what's been achieved in a short time, the continual emergence of new data around these vaccines and seeing progress into clinical trials, and then the type of results that came out from, from Pfizer just a, a day or so ago, really exciting to see that and really motivating for us who are working in this field to keep going, that we're on the right track. I think personally, what I've, you know, obviously this has been a difficult time. I enjoy concerts, I enjoy music, I enjoy traveling, and I still have a lot of family that are based in the UK and, and I'm now here in the US and I can't get home to see them. And I've ha also had friends and family that have been directly impacted by, by the virus and, and that's been really tough. But I think what's really kept me going is the the promise of the science and that vaccines will come and that they will be effective and that we will beat this thing but also I think that I've really been impressed by seeing the things that have been going on in our communities the way that people have looked after each other and cared for each other and making sure that neighbors and friends are, are okay and for those that are sick looking after their families I've also been impressed by you know within the communities in which I live you know, the small businesses affected, how they've been coming up with really novel ideas of still trying to make things work and make their businesses work and keep gyms going, you know, local, local small gyms that are kind of managed by families or husbands and wives, and, you know, keeping those going, restaurants stay, remaining open. The, some of the great ideas that have come up for not just outdoor dining, but this 
idea that we can go and sit in greenhouses or, you know, pretend igloos and things like this, that we can, you know, I, I think this, these times really drive innovation in all aspects of our lives, not just in what we're doing in science. And I know there are a lot of people suffering, but I know that I've seen the best of people in, in trying to innovate and, and find ways to sustain uh, their businesses and their livelihoods through through difficult times. And so that's kept me motivated as well. It's great that you, especially in a big role as yours, can keep going with that. That's very commendable. Thank you. It's, uh, I've had some down days, I'll say. It's not been, <laughs> it's not, I've not been cheerful every, every day. Uh, but, you know, I think that I'm just so optimistic that um, we'll find a way to beat this because we do. We're resilient as a people. And I think that we'll, we'll find a way. Oh, most definitely. That's part of how when I was home with my parents, with my family over the break, I say break like it was like a long spring break <laughs> over our quarantine, our very fun quarantine. They were talking about almost the exact same things you were saying, definitely resilience as a people. And definitely, again, also what you're saying, innovation, not just obviously in the scientific field, but innovation in ourselves, innovation in our thought processes and our basically the ways we look at life. That's a definitely a great mindset to have. So now on to something not pandemic related. So you're probably a little happy about that now. So you currently work at Sanofi. What does your day-to-day job look like there? Well, I, you did send me this question ahead of time and I just thought, wow, there is just no normal day. There is that I have huge variety in the work that I do. And, you know, a lot of my time is now spent with my team and ensuring their success day to day. I have a team of 17 uh, people that I, you know, um, leading. And uh, so I spend a lot of time with them, making sure that they're happy and that they have got clear objectives and then they know what they're doing and that things are moving forward and I'm helping them to solve problems and and so on. So within my team, that's a big part of my day. I think that uh, the medical affairs function within the pharma industry is not one that's clearly uh, understood. So, I mean, maybe I could you know, just say a little bit about that. So the medical affairs function in pharma industry kind of is at the interface between research and development and commercialization of a product. So we get involved early in the process of development to try and make sure that the vaccines that are being developed meet a clear unmet medical needs. So what is the need for these vaccines? And do are we collecting the right data through the clinical development process to ensure that we can commercialize these products and get them to the people that need them globally? And then on the commercial side of things, it's about, you know, making sure that we've got the right evidence for taking these vaccines out to the people who are going to be making decisions on how to use them. So for example, this week has been a nice week for me because the last two mornings I spent with groups of external experts discussing influenza and what are the challenges of influenza vaccine programs, how can we improve them, how can we improve our vaccines, what's the impact of COVID-19 going to be on how vaccines are delivered and what effect they might have and are there any benefits for flu vaccines in an era of the COVID-19 pandemic specifically that we haven't recognised before. So that was fun because that was, you know, two mornings 
beginnings of scientific interaction and discussion. And then this morning, I had a similar experience talking about some clinical data that just emerged from our vaccines, uh, talking with European experts on how they would see these vaccines being used on the basis of the data that we were just releasing. I also spend a lot of time internally working with teams to discuss upcoming interactions with regulatory agencies like the FDA. How are those discussions going to be managed? What do we want to talk about with them? How are our research programs going? Do we need to adjust anything or change anything? I spend time reviewing new scientific publications and literature and understanding what the implications of all of that is for the programs that we have ongoing or the products that we're already commercializing. And I guess that's most of it most days but there are also you know there are always issues there are always problems to solve always unexpected things turning up like COVID-19 where you go to bed one day thinking that the world is one way and you woke up the next realizing that it's completely changed so I I think that there are unexpected issues that arise um, every day in a job and and I work globally as well so I, I work with people in Europe Asia here in the Americas, uh, so uh, pretty diverse science conversations and uh, other things that uh, take place every day. So it's fun. I enjoy it. Great that you enjoy it. You did. <laughs> it definitely, it definitely seems like one of those professions where you gotta always be on your toes, always gotta be prepared for ever adapting circumstances. Yep, definitely, definitely one of those roles. <laughs> I could do with a little bit less of that some days, but yeah, that, uh, that not knowing what's around the corner uh, sometimes is, is also keeps the interest high. Now, do you do anything specific to get yourself in a good position to be prepared for ever adapting circumstances and an ever changing field? So I think for me, anticipating, trying to anticipate the changes that are coming is important. So keeping abreast of the scientific literature, what new developments and advances are there? What are the new challenges that we're noting with influenza? It's an incredibly complex virus and changes all the time. So part of the complexity of my job is trying to understand and predict what the flu virus might do in the future. I think, you know, from my my overall career, the best way I found of innovating and problem solving is trying to keep a clear mind and I'm saying this a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I'm probably the worst at maintaining any kind of work-life balance but maintaining that work-life balance is important and I, I read an awful lot and and not when I switch off the laptop at the end of the day I'm not picking up you know manuals on flu or other infectious disease or uh, leadership stuff I find that my innovation and problem solving skills are best honed by watching trashy movies and reading good novels and spending time trying to get enough sleep and and things like that because I think that most of my alleluia moments come you know standing in the shower or just at that moment when I'm dropping off to sleep or I'll read something interesting in a novel that will just trigger something that I'll think ah I know how to do that now so I I am trying to get better at the work-life balance thing but I think that, you know, is important for trying to keep the mind relaxed because it, I believe that, you know, the best ideas come when you least expect them and not when you're spending hours in front of the computer trying to solve a problem. 
I agree more with that. Definitely. <laughs> when you're, when you're at the, your calmest, your most relaxed, definitely. That's yeah. when the good ideas seem to fly in. You know? I'm I a... have to say that this year I've spent a lot of time reading pandemic based novels though. And I've really got to stop doing that. I've been watching movies like contagion and all of those kinds of things. And it's, I, I'm probably on about my sixth novel this year on the pandemic. It's uh, about time to give it up. I think. Yeah. Me and my mom watched contagion together and she, it was it was a stressful experience this is like when it <laughs> just happened too we're, yeah. like we're both like ripping each other we're like oh my god this is too real <laughs> all right so i'm gonna ask you one more question then i'm gonna wrap it up for this great podcast and this great episode so right before you were talking about books and movies you're watching what type of more like not trashy cont- <laughs> contagion but uh, are there any books or articles or influential people that you would like to recommend to people that you can attribute part of your success or part of your mindset to well maybe not all the traditional ones as i say i'm not a big reader of you know the kind of leadership books that um, are available i i read some i you know but i'm not i and i enjoy and have gained a lot of experience and good advice from those you know very obvious leaders in our societies and communities you know bill gates and the steve jobs and and those uh, those leaders but I think that there is much still to be learned around the historical experience of, you know, understanding what the, for me, what the drivers were for eradication of smallpox and how infectious disease impacted people's lives in, in the past and how vaccines have evolved and how we've got those into the population and, and how we're managing things like polio eradication and and those kinds of programs. Those are going to be the biggest teachings for me. And how new tech is contributing, uh, you know, I'm just starting to see things. I, uh, I think today, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but something from Elon Musk talking about printing vaccines and, you know, this kind of thing. I, I, I just, I need to start getting my head around some of, some of those things. But, you know, I, I do have a, a, a more general interest in the natural world and how we can learn from sort of native populations globally in terms of how they manage medicine and disease and and these kinds of things. Because I think there have been some really interesting molecules that have ended up in our prescribed medication that have come out of the experience of of indigenous tribes globally that have been trying to, you know, use plants and other natural resources to treat disease in the past. So more than traditional kind of leadership type books and so on. I find that more fascinating. <laughs> yeah, everyone seems to get inspired differently. Definitely, yeah, yeah, there's no, don't worry, there's no right answer to have inspiration from. I've, if it's working for you, it's working for you. That's great. Yeah. So unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. It was great talking to Dr. Hollingsworth. I personally gained a lot, I think, from just this short session. Well, uh, thank you. I feel really honoured to be invited to speak with you. As I said, you know, when we first were talking, I have listened to a number of these podcasts and have really enjoyed listening to them. So I hope that your listeners will enjoy listening to me <laughs> speak. But, um, you know, I'm always happy as well to be reached with any questions that people might have. And, you know, I know that you all have my contact details, but feel free to reach out to me if others have questions after listening to this. Thank you very much. So, yeah. So, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is 
great listening to your insight. And to our listeners out there, thank you for listening to this podcast. We will be back with our next episode, The Big 50. All right, take care, everyone. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.